Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of Jesus, amen. So every so often, churches and congregations ask questions about the growth of the church. And they look at the roles and they wonder why it's shrinking or it's stagnant or it hasn't grown. And so they ask, why aren't more people coming to church? And why aren't visitors joining? Or we've built this massive building and school and sanctuary. And we have, uh, why, do we have, 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 why have we had no success in bringing them into the church? And what can we do differently? And what are we doing wrong? And what can we change? And so countless hours of research have gone into trying to answer these very questions to try and solve this problem of the growth of the church. Christians have poured uh, thousands, in, in fact millions, of dollars into programs and ideas in order to make people like the gospel. For example, they'll spend money on new and improved a family life center or a cool-looking sanctuary or free handouts or dogs or programs for people, whatever it might be. And, and there's an official name for this. It's called the Church Growth Movement. And they think that by mixing God's Word with the things of this world, that they'll somehow unsuspectingly lead unbelievers to believe the gospel. And so they bait them with something that the world wants, this thing, and then once they have their attention, then they switch the focus and then they start talking about the gospel. But time after time, this never works. And the world is never, ever convinced by this. And today Jesus tells us why it doesn't work. He teaches us why churches don't grow like the businesses of this world. He reveals to us why arenas and stadiums fill up overnight, but faithful churches struggle to get their own members to come to church for free. He discloses to us why the world is so successful, but the church is not, why it's so difficult to make the church grow. And he tells us why today. It's because people don't like God or know him. And in today's gospel lesson, Jesus describes the world's innate and natural rejection of the gospel. In fact, when you speak the gospel, this is what is bound to happen. And he says these words, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And so why this rage? Jesus answers and he says, They'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. And so Jesus teaches us that people on account of their sinful nature hate the gospel, nothing has to happen to anyone in order for them to despise the eternal life that Jesus gives. And just as the world hated Jesus for being the gospel, the world will also hate you and me for speaking that gospel. Because of this, when the disciples are mocked, flogged, beaten, hated, and even put to death, Jesus told them this ahead of time so that they wouldn't think that they did something wrong. And he told them so that when they preach the word, they wouldn't be surprised when the world responds with profound hostility and anger. When this hour of suffering descends upon them, they won't be surprised when the world does exactly what Jesus says the world is going to do when it hears the gospel. Now, if you want to know why there's so much division in the church and why we ourselves struggle so much with the words of Christ because we've forgotten or flat out rejected the words that he spoke this morning. 
The reason we struggle with the teachings of the Bible is because we fool ourselves into thinking that we can make people like the teachings of the Bible. And when that doesn't happen, then we convince ourselves that it somehow must be our fault and that there must be some way to fix this when the world responds with anger. And so you can see this all around us. So, for, for example, consider the congregations that simply do what Jesus has called the church to do. Right? So the churches and pastors that do nothing more and nothing less than confess the eternal word in an ever-changing world are persecuted the most. So, when churches joyfully preach the gospel, that when there was no other way to salvation, no path to the Father, and no peace with God, God in his infinite love and mercy sent Christ into the world to become our path and to become the way to the Father by bleeding and suffering and dying and giving up all of his breath for the entire sins of the world to forgive them for free. How does the world respond? Well, they respond in hostility and anger saying, Oh, so you're the only ones who are right. And you have the audacity to say that you're better than I am and that I need the forgiveness of your religion to go to heaven. That's so profoundly and incredibly arrogant. And when God out of his mercy and when the churches preach that God out of his mercy has promised to give us men who will be pastors to preach the gospel to a hostile world, who will boldly stand up against the assaults of the devil day in and day out, and whom he has called to give their blood, sweat and tears and sleepless nights to lay down their life for the church, how does the world respond? The world says, wait, so you mean to tell me that women can't be pastors? Women can't read the lessons in church, and that's what the Bible says? Then that's sexist, that's discriminating, that's oppressive, that's wrong. And when churches continue to preach that when God in his mercy gave us the blessing of marriage, the lifelong union between a man and a woman until death does them part, and when he blesses this union with children, and when he teaches us that he upholds marriage as a reflection of his love for the church, and that motherhood is a blessed and wonderful gift, and that fatherhood is as a responsibility better than all others in the world, how does the world respond? They say, how dare you? How dare you say that your definition of marriage is the only one that exists? And how dare you try to stifle other people's love and say that the relationships are inferior to yours. You're so judgmental. You're so intolerant. And in all of this, Christians are taken back and can't quite figure out why the world responds in the way they do. They say, we've spent so much money on this building or this program or this event, and we've got nothing to show for it. Or we've been patient and kind, giving our time and energy, and we put our best foot forward, and we smile to every visitor who comes in the church. We, we, we welcome them, we give them coffee, we're, we're very kind to them, but then they just walk out those doors, and they never come back. Or we've tried every trick in the book and filled out every survey and study of our community and our demographic, but we must not be doing something right. So when this happens... When you think you can find a way to make people like Jesus and his word. When you're discouraged when you preach the word and they don't like it. It's because you've lost sight that the world really, truly, does hate the gospel. And this hatred of it is the reason people don't come to church. 
It's the reason they end up leaving the church. And it's the reason they respond with cruelty and anger. No matter how nicely, how calmly, how patiently you are in saying this, it offends the world. And this is a case where it's not how you said it, but it's what you said. And that you said it. Left and right, Christians refuse to believe that this is simply the world doing what the world does. Well-meaning Christians refuse to believe that the world is so, so hostile to God. They think, what, all we need to do, look, pastor, you don't get it. What we need to do is tweak this or that, or we need to add a little here or a little there, and I promise you they'll join. This has worked in the past. This has worked before. If you just change this, the, 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 the pews would be full. And when that doesn't work, they try to hide the offensive parts of the Bible. They sweep them under the rug and keep those tough teachings in the closet until a later time. And this is why you see church members who have been Lutheran, who have been Christian their entire life, caving to the whims of the culture, becoming ashamed of the word, abandoning the words of the gospel, being tossed back and forth between every changing doctrine because they're afraid to see the church not be liked by others. They can't stand to see others despise the gospel that means so much to them. And not just Christians, but entire church bodies, synods, and councils in their official doctrine have formally rejected the simplest and clearest teachings of the Bible for the sake of numbers. We're surrounded by churches that have given up on God's word in order to embrace women's ordination or open communion, gay marriage, or abortion, or whatever it might be. Some have denied even the sacraments in search of a generic Christianity. And I get this. I get it that pastors aren't immune to this either. In fact, they probably experience the temptation to change things a lot more than you do. It's hard to make friends when you believe in God's word. It's painful to stand up to your own family members and tell them what scripture says. It's not easy being labeled a bigot or judgmental or mean or unloving or arrogant. It's a hard thing to hear. And I know how it feels. And in fact, I'm sure many of you probably know how this feels to some degree or another. But here's the great irony. When Christians try to make Christianity more likable, the only way to do this is to give up the one thing that makes people Christian in the first place. The very word of God. And if you want people to like the gospel, you have to give up the gospel. You have to change it. And if you want the world to like God's word, then you have to get rid of God's word. If you want the world to love the church, then you have to get rid of Christ. And if you want to get rid of your suffering on account of the gospel that will come, that you, if you want to get rid of this persecution that you will bear on account of Jesus' name, then you have to get rid of the one who suffered persecution for you. The disciple is not above his master, and if Christ suffered because of his righteousness, you will too. All of his children will. And yet Jesus was persecuted by us and for us. And Jesus loved and suffered for a world that hated him back. And he spilled his blood for the earth that would trample it. Yet even knowing that such persecution awaited him, he refused to give up. And so he carried his cross on his back, and he chose to forgive the sins of the world that despised him. He continued to give his precious and holy word to a world that mocks it. 
He didn't change his word or promise, even if the world hated it or didn't believe it. He didn't change his love when they didn't want it. And so in suffering for the world, he suffered for you. In suffering, he forgave you all of your sins. He forgave all of the times that you were ashamed of him. He forgave all of the times that you were too timid to speak God's word to others when you should have. He forgave all of the times that you were afraid to bear his name of Christ upon you as Christian. He forgave all of the times that you were embarrassed of his word and the precious things he has done for you. He forgave you for all of it. And know that when you suffer for bearing the name of Christ, that this is true, that you will face this. But rejoice that you share in the same sufferings of Christ. Rejoice knowing that it's through his suffering that he has promised to end your own. He promises to end your persecution through his persecution. And today he gives you a cross to carry. But not only does he give you this cross to carry, but he gives you the strength to carry it. So when the world persecutes and hates you for listening to Jesus, for belonging to Jesus, for believing in Jesus, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because Jesus told you this would take place and this very hour would come. When people reject the word you speak, don't be grieved or fall into despair. The world is simply doing what the world does. Remember these words in the years to come as the world continues to harden its hearts to the word of God and the gospel. Instead of being filled with despair, rejoice that God has counted you worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Know that Jesus has told you all these things to keep you from falling away. He has told you all of this to fill your heart with hope. When, in not too many years from now, the government finally comes against the church to silence them and tax them into poverty, when churches become emptier than they ever were, when no one will bat an eye when sanctuaries are vandalized and razed, when Christians will be put to death for refusing to denounce their Lord, Remember what Jesus said. Remember that he told you this would take place. And remember that he promised to get you through it. Even as the world and the devil foam at the mouth seeking to shut you up, God's word will remain. When you're persecuted, and when those who hate you dig their knives into your flesh, remember that they cannot take a thing away from you. The only thing their hatred and violence can accomplish is to bring you closer to the loving arms of your dear Father in heaven. Remember all of the work that Jesus did to win you and remember all the words he said to keep you from falling away. In all of this, don't be surprised when you see what Jesus told you would happen. Don't be surprised when the world despises you or ridicules you or mocks you or slanders you or utters all kind of evil against you falsely on his account. Rather, when you see these things begin to take place, rejoice, because that means God's word is true. If you see all of the evil he predicted, then you will also see all of the good that he promised. When you see the suffering and persecution he told you would take place, then rejoice, because you will soon see the eternal bliss, the never-ending joy, the unspeakable peace that he promised to you. So don't be surprised when persecution descends upon you. And don't be surprised when on the last day he frees you from all suffering and shame. Don't be surprised when your enemies and those who hate the gospel will be nothing but ashes under your feet. 
when he wipes away your every tear. Don't be surprised when he covers you with a weight of unending and undying glory. Don't be surprised when you see the place that he prepared for you in heaven. And when you see him face to face, don't be surprised when he reads your name from the book of life and declares you innocent and blameless and worthy of eternal life. Don't be surprised because he promised this very thing would take place. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.